this is a time for you to ask questions or talk about anything that you'd like to mention about your meditation or anything of the Dhamma that you have heard here or at other times. Yes, you can choose. You can choose, you can be aware of the actual physical action of walking. You can be also aware of the seeing, what you're seeing. But when you're aware of what you're seeing and you have total mindfulness, you only see shape and color. That's total mindfulness. So when you then say building, you have to become aware of thinking. That's the thinking process. So or if you become aware of the touch contact of the wind, it's if it is total mindfulness of touch, then it's only touch contact. If you say wind, it's thinking. If you say that's nice, that's content of thinking. So the more, the more we break it down into its components, the more we find ourselves getting nearer to the truth. Usually we see ourselves as just um, one chunk, and everything's happening to this chunk, this is called me. But that's not really the way it is. The uh, teaching of the Buddha is very often a teaching of analysis, and this mindfulness has that aspect. Yes. He is saying that I am aware of the building, and that's the building, nothing beyond that. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if you're aware of sense contact, in this case, seeing with the eye, if you're totally mindful, you're only aware of the shape and the color, the mindset building. If you are a, a native of Papua New Guinea and have lived in the jungle all your life, you wouldn't be seeing building. You might be seeing what a huge coconut tree. Why doesn't have any leaves? Your mind gives you the explanation. Total mindfulness of sense contact, seeing only its shape and form, hearing only a sound. It's very difficult, but I suggested to you to try it with sound. It's a little easier with sound. Clear? Yes. Mm. 
Um, when you're doing your meditation, which one of the uh, crutches have you chosen to use with your breath? I think you said counting, didn't you? Uh, no. no. Right. Well, why don't you use an image? might create the uh, absence of the other images. Why don't you try um, either the ocean wave or the cloud and give it a nice color? And that might keep the mind occupied enough so that all these other images do not arise. The only useful image would be one that tells you something about yourself. That does happen at times, spontaneously. But if it's just uh, scenery or other people or shapes, no, not useful. It's instead of words. What do you think? Well, Give it an educated well, guess. This is It's a mindfulness. Your mindfulness has come back. You weren't going to have stories. You're supposed to be meditating. Mindfulness has come back. It's mindfulness. But when you're saying that you are using only the breath, and the mind wanders. Why don't you make life a little easier for yourself and use one of the crutches? This is supposed to assist you. That has the sensations with it. Yes. Are you aware of those? Oh, yes. Yes. yes using that, I was using that as a crutch, and then the mind wanders, and, yes. and then it's pulling back all the time. Right. Right. That's when your mindfulness comes back. You see, it's just another mental formation. Distraction is one mental formation. Mindfulness is another. Distraction is a, not, a, not a useful one, not a skillful one. And the mindfulness is a skillful one. Okay, what else? Yes. I have a little trouble, well, a lot of trouble. As a start on meditation, I find it quite easy to um, remain focused on the subject. But as the time wears on, I become impatient. And there are more thoughts about what's going to happen tomorrow and thoughts about when it's going to end. And, <laughs> and, and, and issues like that, which I find somewhat frustrating. Yes. Well, when this happens, Make a note of impatience and get a grip on the fact that you are impatient. And then you may even at that time debate with yourself whether impatience is a helpful quality or not. Is it skillful? And if you find that it isn't, maybe you can make a determination to become more patient. This is all directed toward insight into ourselves. So if you find you're impatient, well, that's lovely. You found something. It's 
Very interesting, isn't it? What could be more interesting than finding out about oneself? Yes. I, I was keep, uh, I keep saying to myself, breathing while breathing. Yes. And that helped for a while. Yes. And then my leg went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh, I'd rather lie down instead of sitting like this. And mm-hmm. so it, and, you know, is it all right to lie down? And it just distracted me in knowing. Yes. Well, at that time, what you should be doing is what I mentioned earlier watching your own reaction to discomfort. Everybody reacts like that in the whole world. It keeps our economy going. (laughs) (laughs) The more comfort we can sell, the more people will come and buy from us. So just become aware of your own reaction to discomfort and say, hmm, well, Is that really necessary? Do I have to have it comfortable all the time? And can I have it comfortable all the time? Is that really possible? And is having it comfortable my life's aim? Keep on investigating. Find out about it. Probably is. (laughs) If that's your life's aim, what are you doing here? (laughs) Happiness is comfort. Not necessarily. Physical comfort, if that is all the happiness you require, you could be at home, lying down and watching TV. (laughs) If that's all the happiness you require is physical comfort. I don't think that you are requiring only that. So investigate, find out. It's very interesting. We're always looking at other people either in novels or on the TV or in the movies. We always want to know what's making them tick. Now we find out what's making us tick. Okay, what else? Yes. Uh Uh, You're noticing a slight tightness in the chest, but you're only noticing that when you're meditating. Never else. Other times you never have that. Okay. Never any breathing difficulty. Okay. Um, Most likely due to the fact that you have made up your mind you're going to succeed. Drop it. You're going to succeed anyway. If you make up your mind to sit down and meditate, that's enough. Right? No achievement syndrome. It doesn't matter. That's the one thing to drop because you can't keep the two going at the same time by keeping the two going, the concentration and the um, I want this to succeed, you keep both going, you're going to get stress and strain. So just sit down, determination, and then let it run. And every time, of course, you medit- your concentration wavers, new determination, drop it again, and let it run. Okay? Yes? You mentioned four points, four of which was Would you mind reiterating the other three points? Well, hmm. are you talking about the four foundations of mindfulness? Are you talking about the benefits of meditation? Or are you talking about clear comprehension? I think it was 
sorry, but the benefits of meditation. Okay. The, one of the things which is extremely helpful in a course like this is to bring pencil and paper. I see that two or three people do have it. Um, I'm, I'm not being facetious. It's really, really true. We have very um, poor memories, all of us. Um, if you get a, a car accident and you have six bystanders, you get seven opinions. <laughs> it's, um, it is uh, very difficult to remember such things. Okay, the benefits of meditation. First one, purification, because of concentration, right? Second one, that you get a not to know your own mind and don't find it so reliable and true anymore because in meditation you can see it's neither, none of this. It's um, just a conglomeration of thoughts. You learn to be able to label and thereby find what is wholesome and unwholesome in your thinking in everyday life and you're able to change because you change from the breath to, uh, sorry, from the thought to the breath back so you can do that in daily life from the unwholesome to the wholesome. You're learning to change. So you're learning a great deal about the mind in the meditative process. Now there was another thing which I added to that, which is a fifth thing, and that is we learn about our own reaction to, particularly, to discomfort. In other words, that we react to the sense contact just like to the sound and that therefore all our sense contacts are dependent upon our own reactions and are not true in themselves. Now that's a very important thing, that sound and touch particularly. Right? Is, is that clear? Yes. Okay, what else? Yes. Well, I, I don't know the, um, uh, that anything is better. Um, I think that in Zen, there's very often the instruction to keep the eyes just a little bit open, look down on the floor, but do not focus on anything. Um, that could be better in a way of um, not so easy to fall asleep then. Because the mind, the moment before falling asleep, is exactly the same moment as before becoming concentrated. You can only fall asleep without thinking. You can't fall asleep while you're thinking, right? So the mind is used to stopping to think and falling asleep. But stopping to think and concentrating on the breath, that's not used to that. So when it stops thinking, it thinks, ah, must be sleepy time, all right. <laughs> of it goes. <laughs> so there's an, an advantage there of the open eye, which I can think of. I myself uh, meditate with my eyes closed and teach it that way because it facilitates the meditative absorptions, which I haven't mentioned yet and don't know whether I will get to that which is a further stage of meditation. This is when meditation really starts. Um, if you're used to keeping your mind, uh, sorry, <laughs> your eyes open, 
it's quite all right. It's, uh, it's nothing uh, better or worse. It may help. <coughs> but some people, of course, fight again that when they have their eyes open, they are more distracted. So there's um, advantage and disadvantage on both sides. Okay, what else do we have? Yes. No, they're not the same. But um, because many people do find friendship easier because it seems to require less of them, uh, we do it that way too so that there can be an extension of the friendship. You see, when we... I will talk about that tomorrow, about our emotional makeup. I've been talking about our mind and thinking so far and now I will uh, tomorrow talk about the emotional aspect of mind. Um, this um, meditative uh, procedure we had today on the friendship is supposed to um, widen and expand that friendship feeling, which we usually have for a selected few, those that we, you know, ring up and know and, and, and talk to and that type of thing. Um, friendship can be a very warm feeling, but love is stronger. It's a stronger feeling. And friendship can very well lead to that. So it is also a necessary step on the way. So it's also important to do that. And uh, yes, loving is uh, more difficult. Um, Yes, uh, one could say that, yes. But one can at least try. <laughs> <coughs> or as many as possible, let's put it that way, yes. Hmm? Um, it's no, that's a fallacy in our thinking. Love is a cultivation of the heart. Unfortunately, not being taught what our teacher tomorrow. <laughs> At least I'll give you the pointers. You see, what I'm doing is the finger pointing to the moon. It's not the moon itself. But if you have a finger pointing to the moon, maybe you'll find out where the moon is. Yes? Everybody says they love somebody. But again, it's like these car accident witnesses. There is no definition. I'll give you a definition tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> An exact one. And it won't be Webster's dictionary definition. No, it will be the Buddha's. <laughs> That's what we're on about. What about meditation? Anybody have anything to ask or say about their meditation? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, that does happen. Um, <laughs> you see, the thing is, the mind wants to have something to do. First of all, it's used to it. Secondly, we don't have an ego support, and me, that I'm really somebody, um, unless we have the mind working like that. So it takes every opportunity and every excuse to do something. 
So now we have started labeling. So it can discuss that with, well, in, in the mind. What is the right label, wrong label, better label, worse label? If we didn't have that, it would find something else. So when you notice that, label it discussion and try to drop it that way. Right? No, that's not good enough because it doesn't give you the ability in everyday life to distinguish between wholesome and unwholesome. If you keep on saying thinking, yes, of course we're thinking. But what are we thinking? How are we going to get to those thoughts that will be skillful and helpful to us? So a label that says um, something more definite is more helpful. But don't look for the right label. First one. Be satisfied with the first one. Okay? All right. Yes. Yes, there you don't have to get back to the breath at the earliest possible moment. So there you have time to distinguish. And the right label is there only, it's only necessary in the daily life to either say wholesome or unwholesome or skillful or unskillful. Um, that is sufficient. And that shouldn't take very long to realize that. It doesn't have to be any more definite than that. That's perfectly sufficient. And you have to know that every sensation has a different sensation between the foot and the right and the sound. You have to know that every sensation has a different sensation. You mean in meditation? Well, you're supposed to be on the breath. I know. <laughs> <laughs> But you have already noticed it. <laughs> you're already there. As a minute you're, you're, you know that your back isn't straight or that your uh, foot has a twinge, you have already noticed it. And yes, you can, if you can say just sensation, get back to the breath, that's fine. But uh, you may already have had a reaction. So you notice the reaction. The reaction may already be that it's unpleasant. Or notice that and then go back to the breath. Yes. Yes. I'm wondering whether there's a difference in how people notice the difference in meditating in the group. I certainly find it much easier to meditate in the group to go for longer. Yeah. 15 minutes, all right, that's enough. I can't get, but yeah, I can see it for a longer to get deeper. Yes. Well, uh, generally speaking, the group energy plus a teacher is very helpful. It is supportive and it, there's an energy that carries you. Also, you're not going to be the only one that wants to get up. I mean, that would be sort of look silly, wouldn't it? You're going to wait till everybody else gets up, you know? So there's that also. But at home, I mean, who cares whether you get up or not? So the self-discipline is lacking there. Um, some people, there are a few people who find it easier to meditate by themselves. Um, they're more retiring and sort of retreating people. They don't like to be in a big group. But they're rare. Most people are helped by the group energy and also by the fact that the others are doing it too. It's very helpful. And that's why if one really takes one's meditation seriously, as one should, one should find uh, a group 
with which one can meditate once or twice a week. And uh, such a place is available at the Buddhist Society in Mary Street. And um, yes, um, I brought some more of those uh, posters yesterday. There weren't quite enough. And uh, which of my activities here in Melbourne, of my teaching in Melbourne, uh, till the end of the month when I leave Melbourne again so anyone who didn't get one can pick it up there's two different ones a blue and a white one and the address of the Buddhist Society is on there and even whether I'm there or not it makes no difference they have group meditation twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays in the evening at uh, 7 o'clock and there's always some people there and it is helpful to join in on that. And if that is inconvenient, one can find another group somewhere, but this is the one I'm uh, aware of. And most people find it helpful. Talking of honor about having a time, isn't it? Isn't it sensible to have something like an eight time and say, well, I've got 25 minutes and it'll go 10 and 25 minutes and then I will stop. Yes. Yourself, That's right. Yes. The time. I have a little timer like that. In my bag, <laughs> um, and you set your timer, and then uh, don't get up before it rings. That's very helpful. All these things are uh, assistance to us to help us. Yes. Um, when you talk more about how we sort of make a judgment of thoughts being skillful, non-skillful, um, right or wrong. Uh, well, I'm. I don't think that that is difficult. <coughs> Most people do know when they have uh, wholesome or unwholesome thoughts. They, uh, the wholesome <coughs> thought is always a positive, helpful, and loving one, and the unwholesome one is the opposite. And one can uh, also recognize the different feelings that they create in oneself. The unwholesome thought creates aggression, um, depression, um, dislike. The wholesome one creates buoyancy and happiness. One just has to become uh, more and more attentive to oneself. That's all. All right. Our time is up. We can pick up these posters if you like, if you didn't get one yesterday. And I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Good afternoon to you. This afternoon, I will talk about the purification of our emotions. If you remember, and I think all of you or most of you have been here these days. I've been talking about the purification of our thinking, how we realize by attention, by mindfulness, what the thought is, how we learn that through our meditation practice, through the labeling, how we then realize it in daily living, learn to change from one thought to another, as we have learned to change from the thought to the breath. 
we realize that the unwholesome is detrimental to ourselves. Whatever it does to other people, that is another question. But as we need to purify the thinking, we also need to purify the emotions. And one of the formulas is purification of emotion brings clarification of thought. You can compare that quite simply with being in the ocean and being completely swamped by a high wave. If that happens, all you can see is the water of that wave because you're under it. You have to wait till the ocean calms down again and the water becomes smooth and then you can look into the depths and you can see whatever there is, sand, coral, fish and so on. The same happens in one's own mind when the emotions swamp us all we see is the emotion we don't know what's going on underneath and everyone has had that experience in the past in both aspects which in buddhist terminology are called hate and greed you can call it politely wanting and not wanting or craving and rejecting whichever words you prefer it all comes down to the same thing now with our makeup our emotional makeup if we do not do anything about it we will continue like that. This is the human dilemma. And unless we are pointed in the right direction, most people will never find a way out. That's quite all right. We don't have to be a spiritual genius. But when we do find the way, then, of course, it's up to us to practice. An armchair traveler never gets to any destination. All he knows is the map. And there are many people who know the maps very well. But it doesn't help. The Buddha mentioned four kinds of emotion, which are the only ones worth having. All the others can be discarded to great advantage. They are called in Pali the Brahma Viharas, which literally translated means the divine abodes. It does not mean that we're going to become gods or that we're going to be in God's presence or anything like that. But it can mean to us that if we are really becoming adept at those four emotions and do not allow the others to arise that we can have paradise on earth. These four 
I will give you their names and explain as much about them as we have time for. The first one in Pali is called Metta, M-E-T-T-A. We translate that as loving kindness. We'll leave it at that for the moment. The next one is called compassion. Third one is called joy with others or sympathetic joy. And the last one is equanimity. Now the first one, metta. You can see quite readily that loving kindness is a made up word. It's got a hyphen in the middle. You cannot find it in any dictionary. It doesn't exist. We haven't got a word for this particular emotion. It's interesting, isn't it? We do have a word that we bandy around a lot, that we find in books and in all esoteric teachings, in films and movies, and also in our imagination, and that's love. But what we consider love is not what the Buddha taught about metta. And yet the word loving-kindness is weak and not um, familiar to us, and therefore I prefer to use the word love because at least it has an impact. Everybody sits up and takes notice. Aha, talking about love. Let's see what that's all about. The way we look at love, not because we are rationally inclined that way, but because we are emotionally inclined that way, is that we're thinking of a one-to-one relationship. That should have worked out for a little while satisfactorily we might get two or three people involved in that nuclear family and then we consider that love. But what is actually happening there is that while we do have feelings of affection, we expect the same from the other parties. We expect to be loved back. Naturally, all expectations have built-in disappointment. They belong together. But not only that, all of us are intelligent enough, even though we don't want to admit it possibly, to know that everything that exists and has arisen must pass away. All we have to do is look at our own breath and look at our own feelings, look at our own thoughts. And we do know that everything changes. We don't like to admit it. It's not comfortable, we think. So, we are in a state of fear in this love relationship, which is supposed to bring us nothing but peace and harmony and joy. And in reality, it brings a fair bit of discomfort and quite a lot of fear. Now, fear is an emotion of hate. doesn't mean that we hate that person that we are supposedly loving, but what we are hating is the idea that this person might get lost. Die, walk away, find somebody else, doesn't love us anymore, maybe thinks we're getting old, whatever it is that we've got in mind. And that fear gives us a dependency syndrome. We're not free. Although love should make us totally free, 
this gives us far more limitation and sense of restriction than we had before. We are dependent upon the ability to love on one certain person. Since there are four billion people on this little planet of ours, it's totally absurd to be dependent on one for an emotion which is the only way of purifying our heart. This emotion, which is the purity of heart, cannot be dependent upon somebody else. Love is a quality of the heart and not a relationship. As soon as it turns into a relationship, it's doomed. I'm not going to ask who's never had a doomed one. <laughs> This quality of the heart is something we're not taught. We're taught all the possibilities and abilities of the mind. It starts in kindergarten or in preschool and goes through university and keeps on going with evening courses and the mind gets more and more burdened with more and more knowledge. Some of it is useful. Some of it is uh, um, superfluous. Whoever teaches anyone what to do with their heart. It's all concerning the mind. And yet everybody, bar none, knows that each one of us has a heart and a mind, thinking and feeling. Nobody will deny it. And yet we direct our whole attention towards one instead of both. We don't neglect the one in order to do the other. But what is actually happening is that we don't even consider our heart quality something that can be improved upon. We wait for something to happen. Some beautiful lady is going to appear on the scene or some knight in shining armor or whatever it may be. And that's going to spell love. Everybody knows it's absurd. And yet, deep down, we're still thinking that way. Metta, the Buddha's teaching about love, has absolutely no connection with any of this absurdity. It means that we learn to educate our heart so that in the beginning, in the first we realize through mindfulness whenever there is the opposite of love arising. Now, the opposite of love does not always have to be hate, although that is the far enemy and is called that. There are other possibilities in our heart. It can be rejection, resistance, uh, discrimination. It can be even indifference. It can be not wanting to be bothered. There can be so many different emotions which do not spell love. Now our first order of the day, if we want to purify, and any spirituality is a purification, is to make sure that we know 
what's arising. Now, as I said before, fear is also hate. We never fear what we love. We also fear what we always fear what we hate. So if fear arises, that too needs checking out. What am I afraid of? What do I dislike? What is it that I can't love? Not always who, sometimes what. That is the same thing. So that's our first step, to find out what's going on inside. And then again and again, learning to substitute. Substitution is far easier than just letting go. Just letting go, for instance, if I were to tell you in the meditation, just let go of the thinking, and you didn't have anything to put your mind on, you wouldn't know what to do. you just have a different thought again. We substitute the thought with the attention on the breath. The same with our emotions. When we have any negativity within, that negativity needs to be recognized. It needs to be known that it's detrimental to ourselves, never mind the other person. It gives us the negative feeling, and we learn to substitute. The Buddha compared getting angry at someone with picking up hot coals with one bare hand and trying to throw them at somebody else. Who gets burned first? Whether we actually take good aim or not also depends upon the fact whether the other one knows to duck. But if we've picked up the hot coals, our hands get burned. The Buddha also compared ill will with a bilious disease. The bile comes up. The sick. If one gets really angry, at first there might be a feeling of relief, of having it spat out, and afterwards there's always a sort of feeling of either regretting it or feeling quite without energy. It is very energy-consuming to be angry and to hate, whereas to love is energy-generating. Obviously, our loving-kindness meditation that we have been doing here is an antidote, but it's not enough. It's only giving a direction. We have to watch in daily life, every moment. Now, that doesn't mean that we lose our discrimination of what's good or what's bad. If we did that, it would be dreadful, because we ourselves then wouldn't know anymore what's skillful and what's unskillful. But even though we know what is wholesome or unwholesome, whether another person is doing the right thing or not, it does not give us permission to dislike that person. There's no reason to dislike anyone. 
none whatsoever. Whatever anybody does, says or thinks, is their own karma. They're doing it. And they themselves will get the results. This is a law of nature which cannot be changed, no matter how much we try to <coughs> manipulate it. It just is impossible. Laws of nature that apply to us ourselves are still holding true even in our technological age. And we're becoming more and more aware of it in our environment. The same holds true for ourselves. So if somebody else is doing something which we do not find lovable, that's the right to know that. But it doesn't mean that we now stop loving or even hating that person. The main thing that that is that we are protecting our own heart from falling into the error of the negative emotion, where we no longer have the ability of warmth and giving, of expansion and widening our heart. If we want to know more about the truth that applies to ourselves and the universe, we need the expansion of the heart. Because as long as we don't have that, we are far... This is just as deliberate a training for our emotions as it is a training for our mind. Having both within the rationality of our thinking and the emotionality of our feeling, we need to develop both equally so that we can become independent of others, self-sufficient. When we become self-sufficient, and it has, was a fad for many years to have self-sufficient farms and things like that, to grow your own food. It's far more important to be self-sufficient within your own mind. When we manage to become self-sufficient like that, we no longer look for others to love us. All we are looking for is to love. Most people would like to find somebody that loves them really dearly. Why? It's an emotional ego support. At least one person thinks I'm lovable. That's very nice, but it doesn't do the slightest bit for the purification of our own heart. The only thing that purifies our own heart is to learn to love. If somebody else loves us, that's their emotion. Good for them. Hopefully they learn to love many. But if we start loving, that's our own emotion. And if we are only loving when we are quite um, fairly sure that we're going to be loved back, that's very limited. 
And if we're only loving because somebody would like us to love them, or we find them really lovable, that too is much too limited. None of us are completely lovable if we use the criteria of perfection. The only person that can never be perfect is an enlightened one. There are very few of those. So we might as well resign ourselves to the fact that such a thing doesn't exist, that the only thing that has any bearing on our own lives is to make our heart loving and not look for any reason. The only reason that is there for us to make our heart loving is the purification of our own emotion, which gives us the expansion of viewpoint and consciousness where we can see eventually universality instead of individuality. What we're looking at in our love relationships is an individual gratification. Doesn't work. Univer universal truth work for everyone. Naturally, if we are a loving person, other people are attracted to that. But the near enemy of meta, of this unconditional love, is affection because that means attachment. An unconditional love is an opening of the heart, a giving of the warmth that the heart contains, an interest and a support for the other person, but it has nothing to do with attachment. The same applies whether the person is there or not, the same applies to every living being. That's ideal. We'll have to get there. These are the end results of this practice. The way to translate metta in the best manner, I think, is to say it's unconditional love. It is a liberation of our heart, liberation of the strengths of our heart, so that it can go out without limitation. This needs work. Just like meditation needs work, just like it needs work to come to terms with our unwholesome thinking, we have to come to terms with our unwholesome emotions. Anger and hate, as the enemy of love, are emotions which are destructive. Whether we destroy someone else or not may not even enter into this. It's destructive of our own peace of mind. People often ask, but we can't and shouldn't suppress anything. Naturally, one shouldn't. The Buddha's teaching is neither suppression 
nor expression, change. I can only change that which I have fully in hand. It's impossible to let go of something which I don't even know I've got. If I've suppressed it, I wouldn't know that it's there. So as long as I know the anger, the dislike is there, so long I can actually change it. And why is it so important for us to do that right from the start of any meditative practice? Only a joyful mind can meditate. A mind that's angry, upset, worried or fearful will never meditate properly. It's got to get rid of those emotions first. And also, if we are looking for peace and happiness and it's hardly likely that there's anybody who isn't because that's what we're all looking for we need this particular practice in order to get inner peace and happiness when we come to the point where we know that no matter what happens whether we are being abused, whether we are being um, scolded or blamed, justly or unjustly, no matter what happens, we're going to respond with love and compassion. Our inner self-confidence is unshakable. We are no longer afraid. The fear which we find in human relationships is due to the fact that we can never be totally sure how we're going to respond, always hoping for the best. We're always hoping they're going to say something nice and not something nasty. When we have that inner self-assurance of knowing that our love and compassion is unshakable, that confidence makes it easier even to love. We are not looking for anybody to love us back. We're just giving it to them. If they don't take it, that's their problem. If they're grateful, that's nice. But it's got nothing to do with the one who's giving it. The more we give of that, love the more we've got this is also another law of nature the more we give the more we've got check it out it can't be any other way and yet most of us live with our hearts like misers we put a border patrol around it and only those people who have the correct papers that are in conformity with our expectations are allowed to enter. We have a customs check at the border of our heart. Is that really a good way to live? 
It's much simpler, much more peaceful, and much more expansive and fulfilling to drop all those barriers, not to act as if this was a foreign country where we won't let anybody in, where we have to have immigration laws, and live open and accepting because not only will we have the ease of relationship and the ease of communication but we have nothing to blame ourselves for we feel at ease with ourselves. Usually when people get angry at others, they justify it. Justification. The other person is terrible. Well, maybe so they are terrible. People do get into terrible states. We all do, don't we? But there is no justification for anger. The Buddha said, hate is never conquered by hate. Hate is conquered by love alone. So if we find it difficult to do the loving-kindness meditation and actually feel something, believe me, you should do it every single day. It's the most important thing to do. If we find ourselves negative towards other people, often hoping that they won't notice it because we don't want to have any arguments. Believe me, everybody knows. Our communication is based upon our feelings. Life is based on our feelings. What we do is based on our feelings. We always think that we're using our rationality in order to figure out what's right for us and what isn't. But in reality, we're constantly using our feelings. Because thinking is also a sense contact. And you may not remember, but I told you that all sense contacts produce feeling. There's nothing we can do about that. They always do. So even our thinking produces feeling. And that's why the loving-kindness meditation, if it is only thinking and not feeling yet, should be continued as often as possible because that too will eventually bring about feeling. There are two ways to be liberated. One is through wisdom and one is through the heart. Both have to come together. The liberation through the heart, heart and mind, but in the Buddhist terminology, the feeling is part of mind, but in English we separate it to make it more clear is the moment of realizing 
and the wisdom is that that understands in other words we have the experience and after that the understanding of the experience so the feeling always goes first in all our life situations and if our feeling is based on love and compassion our life situations are easy to handle it's harmonious it's has a sense of fullness and fulfillment is a sense of well-being and of being protected people around us and the world around us are our mirrors we can only see in others what we are projecting ourselves that's why only a buddha knows a buddha we wouldn't know if somebody's enlightened not knowing what it's like how would we know we can only conjecture but we certainly know when somebody's angry because we know exactly what that's like and what we project into others is only that what we carry around so if we carry around love and compassion in our hearts we see that in others too and we're not threatened we're not that not fearful it is the universe that is protective and a universe that is secure the base the heart base needs to have that fundamental solidity it's a must for meditation it's a must for happiness i won't have time to detail the other three emotions but i will tell you they're near enemies because you can figure out they're far enemies yourself the near enemy of compassion is pity being sorry for someone compassion is a with feeling calm is with and passion is feeling it's a with feeling is empathy the near enemy of sympathetic joy is hypocrisy those little white lies that we tell when we don't really mean it but we think we should and the near enemy of equanimity is indifference and indifference is a very strong enemy of love indifference is often used as a protection against unwholesome emotions it's no protection because it protects one from unwholesome and wholesome emotions it's like an armor a metal armor where nothing can come through and if one practices that long enough one's no longer in touch with one's feelings and if one isn't in touch with one's feelings one isn't in touch with life life is based on feeling
And one is, so to say, a disinterested bystander. And there are people who know that about themselves, that they're always sort of just looking at what others are doing and not really, not really with it. That's caused by indifference. And it is that is caused because of the fear of the unwholesome emotion. It is so similar in outer appearance to equanimity that it's often mistaken for it, not by the one who's got it, usually, but by the one, by others who are observing it. Equanimity is even-mindedness, and it is the crowning glory of all our emotions. It contains loving-kindness, compassion, and joy with others within it, because it is based on insight. It is at first, of course, we need to practice it. But as we do, and practice more and more, equanimity is based on the insight into the impermanence of all that exists, the inherent unsatisfactoriness of all existence, because everything constantly changes, and the lack of a core, the corelessness of all that we can ever find. That insight must produce equanimity, because if that is true, then what can one possibly worry about? It produces at the same time great compassion for the unsatisfactoriness of all life. To be a human being is difficult. To make a success of being a human being is even more difficult. But we all have the capacity. We can all do it. There's no single person that doesn't have those ingredients. When the Buddha was alive two and a half thousand years ago, he preached to ordinary people like ourselves which means quite clearly that everyone has the capacity to see the truth and live according to the truth. Otherwise he would have been wasting his time, highly unlikely from an enlightened one. We must admit to ourselves that it is difficult to make a success of being a human being. And seeing that difficulty within ourselves takes the necessary steps. The purification of our heart is on the same level of importance as the purification of mind. The two go hand in hand. They are the two parts of us which need to be balanced. The Buddha's path is often called the middle way. We need a balance. A balance where our emotions are pure enough so that our thinking is not impaired and where our thinking is wholesome enough so that our emotions do not get out of hand. As we practice, we can practice both ways. Meditation, where we concentrate and realize what's going on within ourselves, is 
the necessary means it's not the end but the means without those means we will never be able to get to that point where we can say I'm at peace there's nothing else that needs to be done whether we get there or not is not important what is important that we enjoy the trip and if we don't enjoy every step on the way there's something wrong we're doing something wrong everything that happens to us it's a learning experience that alone should give us pause to consider whether it isn't an enjoyable situation dukkha the unsatisfactoriness is a learning situation if we respond with an open heart and a clear mind there is nothing to quibble about all it shows us is the universality of the difficulties nobody has a monopoly on it we've all got the same difficulties and we've all got the same abilities when we use those abilities they grow the more we use the ability the more it grows <coughs> we can compare that to lifting weights the more we do it the heavier the weight can become it's the same with our heart i think i'll stop here and i think we'll have the discussion at the end of our session today because meantime you have a chance to meditate and possibly get to some uh understanding or problem of it which may escape you at this time so at this time let's stand up and stretch our legs i will add one more instruction to the meditation instructions i've given you so far um it's it's a suggestion all of those things that i've told you about you can use or not it's entirely up to you they are all possibilities when the mind doesn't want to stay on the breath but wanders you can become aware of the solidity of your body how it sits on the pillow how the touch contact of the pillow produces a feeling of compactness feet the uh, seat arms everywhere there's a feeling of solidity and compactness this is the earth element the solidity in us you can let your mind go outside into your surroundings and see and observe whether everything else also has 
U.S. element. It may spontaneously give you an idea which is a little different about yourself than it has been so far. If your mind is staying on the breath, by all means stay there. If the mind labels a thought and goes right back to the breath, by all means do it. But it just won't listen at all to you. Here's another way of learning about yourself. Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Look into your heart and see whether you find any anger, ill will, resistance, rejection, fear, worry, anxiety, boredom, envy. If you find any of these or any others like them, let them float away like black clouds in the wind. That's all they are. And look again into your heart and find the purity and openness in there that is its natural domain. And fill the spaciousness of the heart with love and compassion directed towards yourself. Accepting yourself as you are Compassion with the difficulty of being a human being. Love and appreciation. For your own efforts. Fill yourself with love and compassion. Now direct your love and compassion towards your loved ones, people who are close to you. Assume you have a special relationship. Accepting them as they are, understanding their difficulties, loving them and appreciating 
Now direct your heart towards your friends, letting them have all your love and compassion, filling them with that warmth, embracing them, for they can feel that sense of well-being and security that emanates from your heart. Direct your love and compassion to all the people who are assembled here, giving them the same warmth and strength of your love as you give those people who are near and dear to you. Consider the difficulty of being human Appreciate everyone's efforts. Let warmth generate from your heart to everyone here. Think of your neighbors at home, people at work, those you meet here and there, on the street, in the shops, those you know and you don't know. 
let the warmth and strength of your heart full of love reach out to all these people giving them the gift of your love and compassion Think of anyone whom you find difficult. Do not let that spoil the purity of your heart. Reach out to that person too. Realizing with compassion the difficulties that everyone has. Appreciating the efforts that that person is also making. Let your heart open as wide as it can, letting love and compassion flow out of it to people whom you know and those you don't know. Those that are near, around here, in the university, in the area around here. Further, in the city, on the streets, in the houses, in the shops, in the offices. Let your heart reach out to all of these people. filling them with the warmth of your love, the understanding of your compassion. Making them feel cared for. Appreciated.
open your heart so wide that your love and compassion can reach out over the whole country like a golden wave that goes further and further touching everyone with warmth and strength and care and concern Now put your attention back on yourself. Be happy and joyful about the purity of your heart that you have touched upon. Let it fill you with warmth and love and surround you with safety and well-being. May all beings have love and compassion in their heart. 